God. Praise the Lord of glory. Don't forget that today is a national day of prayer. And uh, at the end of the service, we're going to be praying. And uh, hallelujah. Well, I guess we probably don't even need to wait till the end. We ought to just start it now. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise God. And uh, just pray for our nation. We're going to take authority over this virus, this pandemic. We are going to take authority, and it is going to leave our nation. Amen. And so we're going to pray. Also, we're going to pray for our leadership in our nation. They certainly need it. They need direction. They need counsel. They need wisdom, but they need it to unite America. You know, one of the things uh, you might not know that 70,000 people a year die from the flu. 70,000. No notice of it in the news, no notice of it any place, and you don't get freaked out. But as soon as some type A virus rises up that is in the same arena as the flu, the lungs, bronchial passages. We all get freaked out. So far there have been over 30,000 people that have died of the flu this year and none of you have quit shopping. And let me tell you something, I don't think anybody should die. So we as a nation need to gel together. And we as Christians need to rise up and be bold. Amen? Now I don't know about you, as soon as I heard about this coronavirus, I just simply said, it doesn't come to my house, it ain't coming to my house, it ain't touching my family. You say, well, don't you think you ought to do anything else? I think I ought to do my due diligence. It's called personal hygiene. You scratch yourself, you wash your hands. Hello. You go to the bathroom, you wash your hands. When you've been around a lot of people, you wash your hands. Amen. It's just common courtesy to present something sterile to people that you're in relationship with. Is common decency to make sure that you have good hygiene. Amen. And so when you leave this place today, go to the bathroom and wash your hands. Amen. When you get home, you've been run around them little rugrats, wash your hands. Them little germ magnets. Wash your hands. Hallelujah. Just wash your hands. Amen? So just do your due diligence. But listen to me. This is bigger than America. Any sickness is bigger than any government. Just know it's bigger than what you can do to stop it or it never would have got started. Amen? And so we are going to pray today. And we are going to take authority over this coronavirus and we are going to curse it and it is going to leave the shores 
of America. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, and we're going to pray for our government. We're going to pray for our leaders. Amen. And so let's just begin to lift up our hands as individuals. Father, in the name of Jesus, we curse this coronavirus, God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we proclaim the blessing of God over this nation. We declare, God, that this is a nation that is blessed, a nation, God, that is touched, a nation that is protected by your spirit. We command this coronavirus to leave the shores of America. We curse it in every nation that it has been born, every nation that it's ruling right now. We curse it. God, let the numbers begin to subside and testify of this day of national prayer. We pray for our government. We pray for our leaders. We pray, God, for those first responders. We pray, God, for men and women. We pray, God, that you protect them. We pray, God, that you would give them wisdom and counsel in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We will not let our hearts be troubled, for we will hope in the Lord. We have an assurance that God is faithful, that God is unchangeable, and that God will watch over His Word to perform it. God, we thank You today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Well, you can be seated. Hallelujah. Uh, you, I have my uh, Philippine trip has been postponed because they closed it down from that side. They called me last week and uh, when I was in Brazil and they said, well, we'd like to cancel you. And I said, no. The airline said, well, you know, we can't get you there. I said, find a way. What's wrong with you? I paid for my ticket. I want to go. But then this and that. I said, I don't care about that lady. I preach the gospel. I'm not afraid of germs. I'm just, I'm just not afraid of germs. I'm not afraid of their authors. I'm not afraid of the devil. Amen. I'm not afraid of death. I do regret sometimes living among people, but I'm not concerned about all that. Get me to the Philippines. People need to be saved. Amen. Hallelujah. So they ended up calling us back and canceling it. So don't worry. When we get there, we're going to give the devil a headache he wished to God he'd never had. Absolutely. All right, John 14.1. Nicole read this. And it says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in me, or believe in God, and believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. That would insinuate to me a personal decision. That we as Christians are not subject to what comes through the air whether it is just hearsay or evidential. It doesn't matter. We are not to be troubled. Anytime that you are troubled, your faith in God has shifted. It's all that troubled is. Peace is when it is firm, when it is solid, when it is unshakable. 
Now, I don't know about all the viruses. I don't know about anything except that I know that God said that pestilence are not going to come nigh me. And I've used that against my in-laws for years, and it works. Hallelujah. Now, let's turn our Bibles over to the Proverbs, the third chapter, 21 through 26. Proverbs 3, and then we're going to get into our message today. I know that I was going to teach on the infilling of the Holy Ghost, but this is a little more pressing. Not that people don't need filled with the Holy Ghost, they do. And, uh, but today I just wanted to still uh, any reservations about what could happen or what could not happen. Proverbs 3, I guess I'll get there. There you are, where you're at, 3. And we're going to go to verse 21 through 26. My son, let not them, my word, my commandments, depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Not from falling, from being taken. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. When it is in thy power of thine hand, to do it. We are not to be afraid. Now when we talk about fear, we could talk about its association with the soul, the emotions and the eyes and the senses. But really it's just an attempt to intimidate. In other words, it's like a bully. It may not have any power in it. But all it seeks to do to you is to intimidate you, to influence you, to convince you that something cannot happen except the course that you're on. And we have choices in life. It means that we should not respect intimidation. That we should not bend before it in the form of submission to give it rule over our life. Now fear may come, but you don't have to bow your knee to it. Amen? Lots of things come in, in life, but you don't have to surrender to them. We have in America right now a sudden crisis. And I mean multi-million dollar corporations have shut down. People have went Fanatic buying toilet paper. I seen today on the news that a man got stabbed 
with the broken wine bottle in the water aisle because he was trying to buy water. Another guy wanted it, so he stabbed him with a broken glass from a wine bottle. How filled with fear does an individual have to be to sacrifice a human life? That man became the prisoner of fear. He became very intimidated about an outcome that he hasn't even experienced. He doesn't know anybody that's involved. And guess what? The coronavirus isn't even in his house. Yet he's paralyzed by a story, a rumor. Now certainly it exists, but lots of things have existed that are far more dangerous than that and have killed more people than that. One is the lust of things without God which is the foundation, according to James, the fourth chapter, of every war that has ever taken place. Millions have been slaughtered because of a want of things they couldn't have. This man stabbed somebody. Now you've got to realize that his sons and daughters are probably going to be raised fatherless because... He's going to jail. Attempted murder. He's going to face charges. His wife is going to be without a husband. His mother is going to be without a freed son. The list goes on and on and on and on because of one stupid mistake originating in fear. He could have turned the faucet on outside the grocery store and filled all the bottles he wanted. So I want to talk to you today about not being fearful. Because I'm just telling you, I'm just not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I struggle with giving God permission to keep me alive. Because people make life hard. But life with Christ is an easy task. I've never been offended by Jesus. Never been spoke about by Jesus. Never been experienced disloyalty from Jesus. Never experienced a lie about me or a presumptuous statement about me from Jesus. Never has he withheld something that he knew that I needed. Jesus sticks closer to me than a brother. It's all the people that he has in his family that sometimes can make the going rough. Could I get an amen? Hallelujah. I have no problem marrying Phyllis. I love her. It's just that baggage that she calls brothers and sisters that are strange. Amen? Yeah, it's a, no, I, I do love them. They all live someplace else. And, and I'm happy. Now, I want to talk to you today about sickness and disease. Where it comes from. Now, I want to shake your traditional mindset. 
Some of you might say, oh, well, I know, I know. Well, good. I'm glad you know. This will be fortitude to what you do know. In, let's go to Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38 is the first revelation that God inspires Peter to preach to the Gentile church. It is his first message that Moses preaches to the nation of Israel from coming out of bondage because their minds need to be transformed and faith needs to have a place to take a foothold. And so Peter preaches this message. He could have preached many, but he preaches this message. Now I do want you to understand that sickness and disease is a part of the curse. Everybody understand that? You can go to Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, verse 15, down through 68, and you can read about the diseases. You can read about the sicknesses, and you can read about all of those things that are related to that one disease. You can read about all of the diseases coming because of the curse. Now, the enemy, Satan, the enemy of your soul and your life, your family, your health, your blessing, is the cause of the curse coming upon man. Now, in Acts 10.38, it says, How God, somebody say, How God, anointed Jesus Christ, two parts of the deity, willing, willing, with the Holy Ghost, now the full trinity. He anointed Him with the Holy Ghost and with power. That who went about, talking about Jesus, doing good. Somebody say good. good. Healing all those that were oppressed by God. For Oppressed by who? Oppressed by who? Now, healing all those that were oppressed by the devil. Everybody that Jesus prayed for, he was oppressed or she or they were oppressed by the devil. God is not in it. Could I get an amen? God is not involved in sickness and disease in men's lives. He is involved very actively to get them healed, sinner and saint. Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda and said, now go and sin no more. So we understand that Jesus healed sinners. And then it says that He went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him. Now, oppression here simply means sickness and disease. It means affliction. Look, Jesus went about healing, not afflicting. Could have given amen. So please understand that all sickness is attributed to Satan. Well, but brother, you know, you got the common cold. But stop. Don't try to outthink God. Sickness is of the devil. Quit trying to put a, a little ribbon on it and ship it to somebody. Stop. It's the devil. And so, when the devil comes to your house, to your thoughts, 
to your presumptuous expectations. Realize that it is the devil. Somebody say the devil. If the flu comes to your house, it's the devil. It's the devil. Now you can blossom it up, and I'm sure some of you religious people have been saved so long you know it all. I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to get corrected tomorrow for I shouldn't have done that. But sometimes it just irks me that people think they're smarter than God and make Him complicated. It's like God heals people, but He lets all these little germs through so that we can understand that we're human beings. No, no. Every sickness and every disease is the devil. Is the devil. I buried a woman time that a woman one time died of a common cold. How did she die of a common cold? She got a cold and it got worse. She went to the hospital. Won't tell you which one, but it's within a 30-mile radius. And while they were putting a tube down her throat to help her, they nicked a vein and she bled to death because of a common cold. Now, if you can attribute that to God in anywhere of your sense and your great theological stance, please enlighten me. Was there anything about that, about God leading children, leaving them without a mother? I stood at the coffin and wept for that family. I could not, in my wildest imaginations, think what would my daughter do without my wife? What would I do without my wife? How could I find somebody that would love me besides her? I, I didn't know. Those two girls were without a mother, a husband without a wife. And so that woman died of a common cold. But Jesus went about doing good. Somebody say healing is good. You can find that in Mark, the sixth chapter, where Jesus met a man and he took him and he was going to heal him on the Sabbath. And all the Pharisees started saying, no, not on the Sabbath, not on the Sabbath. Jesus said, listen to me, every one of you unties your oxen and your ass and takes it out to water it on the Sabbath. You don't think anything about that. But to you, I ask the question, is it right to do good or to do evil, to give life or to give death on the Sabbath? They said, well, it, it should be good. You're right. When they said that Jesus healed the man of a withered hand, because healing is always good, and there is no good in the devil. But there is an immense, unexplainable, unmeasurable goodness in God. Amen. Amen. So he is the answer. And Jesus came for a purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And everything that Jesus reversed in man's life comes from the devil. Comes from the devil. Now, all sickness and all disease is from Satan. It enters in, certainly, through sin, and it is a part of the curse. It is a weapon against you, your faith, every man and every woman and every child. 
Please listen to me. It is a weapon. It is a weapon to destroy you, to shorten your life, to make your children fatherless, make your wife husbandless, make your husband wifeless. It comes to steal. Ask the woman that had the issue of blood. Hey, how much does this sickness cost you? Everything. Cost me everything. I've balled myself to the hill. I don't have any hope. They tell me I'm getting worse when they promise me deliverance. But every time I go, it's worsening. It's getting bigger, darker, deeper in me, and I can't get free. She spent everything she had. I'm sure that she had friends just like we all had that when they saw her coming, they started saying, oh my gosh, here she comes. Don't give her any more money. We're done with her. But we have plenty. It doesn't matter. It's our money. It's not God's. It's our money. And if they can't heal her, why are we pumping money down an empty tube? Yet this woman spent all she had and she was no better than when she began. She grew worse every day. So understand that sickness and disease comes to take your money. Now I hope that Apple does the right thing. I hope Amazon does the right thing and pays their employees the money that's due them while they're off. That would be the act of love. The other would just be a socialistic reflection of acceptance to gain leverage in other people's lives. Well, you know, we did this. Well, you could have went the second mile. I don't believe that Apple will go broke by paying them three or four weeks. I don't believe Amazon will. I support Amazon. My word, I've sent them enough money they could at least keep four or five people on. That's just in the day. You know, I get these little things. Hi, Peter, how are you doing today? You want to walk through the fishing department today? You devil. <laughs> no. Now, it is your enemy. Somebody say, my enemy. And believe me, sickness is your enemy. It is attacking everything that you have been blessed with and that you have been given responsibility and authority over. Luke 13.10 said, Should not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, set free of this spirit whom Satan has bound these 18 years? 18 years of misery, torment, looking at the floor, at the feet of people, bowed over and couldn't get herself up. Eighteen years. Shouldn't this woman have been healed? Set free whom Satan hath bound. Jesus set her free. The church never saw her imprisoned as by the enemy. They never seen her in a battle for her life, for her children, for blessing. 
They never thought that anything was abnormal. It just looked so common for a woman to be bowed over. Yet the enemy had snuck in to that church, destroying the faith of individuals, destroying the faith of her children, while they were hearing about Noah and Abraham and, and Jesus in the children's church all the day long. They were tormented. If God loved them, why does he not love my mom? Tormented, bound, afflicted, yet accepted as ordinary by the church. It was the enemy of God. John, can I use you today for being the devil? Come on up here. I need a, a couple of demons. Come on, Dan, you can come up here. You get to be a demon. Gerald, you get to be a demon. You're right here on John's side. Hallelujah, turn around, John. There, there you go. David, come up here. I'm going to let you be Jesus. Which is a far fetch. Bill and Randy, would you come up here and you'll, you'll be Jesus' helpers. Now, sickness comes to my house. What is the establishment of sickness in a believer's life? Well, it's the work of the devil. It's more than the work of the devil. More than the work of the devil. The Bible says in Mark, the ninth chapter, verse 9 through 23, that there was a young man. He had a spirit of deafness and dumbness. And the Bible says that that spirit would take him. That simply means he took him captive. He took his liberty away, took his will away, took away his plans, his hopes, took away his playtime, took away everything. And when he wanted, the devil threw him in the fire. Threw him in the water trying to kill him. Sickness is not your friend. Not even your kid's friend. And that devil was ruling that young man's life. But Jesus comes and heals him. Guess what? He gets freed. He gets his life back. He rises up. He can hear and he can speak. Now, John, here, send this migraine-headache guy over here. Come on, send him up here. Come on up here, Dan. Come right on up here. Now, I'm a freed Christian. But one day, here comes Dan. Come on right up here, Dan. And Dan's got just a way to incorporate... What was I talking about? Migraine headaches. And so Dan comes, and he puts migraine headaches on me. Now, my mother had them. So it was no great surprise. And her mother had them, and my sister deals with them. But all of a sudden, Dan comes in, and I have migraine headaches. What has just happened? Well, I think they're common. I mean, I put it down on the paper every time I go to the doctor, remind them that I'm expecting these things to happen. But it's more than that. The devil has moved from an observation point to 
a ruling point. Sickness and disease is the establishment of demonic control in our life. Now, all of a sudden, I don't have a life of my own. I have a life that is determined by Dan. Now, but I have authority, I have power, but I haven't said one thing and haven't done one thing. Because I think it was good enough for mama, it's good enough for me. And pretty soon, Dan gets lonely. So he calls out to somebody else. Remember, he can come back with seven stronger than him. And so now, oh, Angel Gerald shows up. Come on up here, Angel Gerald. And he shows up, and because he has migraine headaches, immediately you've got deterioration of the vertebras in your back. <coughs> Bend your head a little, Dan. <laughs> and so, here comes another spirit. Get right over here, Gerald. Now, here's this spirit. Now, here's this spirit pushing my head over this way. Now I go to the hospital or I go to the chiropractor and guess what? Well, you've got this. You've got that. You got. I'm not doubting what they see. I'm just telling you that it's not common. And we need to stop giving place to the devil. Thank you, devils. I didn't even need them two angels. You were enough, Jesus. All right. Now, now we think that that, oh boy, that, that's cute, Pastor. Yeah, I kind of see that. Good to remember that. Because that's just what happens. And if you think this coronavirus is any smarter or any more powerful than what we just displayed, then you are giving up hope on a God that holds all power and a God that can transform anything and a God that said anything was possible unto Him. Amen. And so what we do is we get fearful. We forget that greater is He that is in us than He that's in the world. We forget that if God's on our side, that we can do whatever He's called us to do. God never left you in this earth without hope. Could I get an amen? Now, God is an all-powerful God. He's a God that does not change. He's a God that does not fail. He is the faithful to a thousand generations. God is on our side. God will do whatever the believer asks Him to do in faith. What we have to do is make sure that we do not put our hope in man. Don't put your hope in government. Don't put your hope in soap, be diligent, use the counsel, the wisdom that you have at your disposal, but put your faith in God. Amen. And let's start putting our trust in the Lord. When a man is saved by the confession of Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, he is delivered from the kingdom of darkness. He is exempt 
from everything that has to do with that kingdom. And he is translated into the kingdom of light and becomes the inherited inheritor of everything that the kingdom of light has. And I know that all of this is simple and I know that you know it and I'm glad of that. But I just want you to awaken yourself so that we as believers can be set free. Amen? Remember that Satan was defeated. Somebody say defeated. Now I know we say those words, but you have to see him defeated. You have to see the cross being productive. You have to see the truth of the cross and believe it above every question. In Numbers, the 21st chapter, God told Moses the people had sinned. And it says that there were serpents that came in and they started biting the people. And Moses said, God, what's going on? What are we going to do? And God says, look, They've sinned, and Moses says, I agree, they've sinned, but what is the hope? What is their answer? Is there no redemption in God? God said, yes, there's redemption in me, and I will show you that I'm not the cause of the sickness, the serpent is. And if you can take care of the serpent, you can take care of every penalty that he's able to inflict in their life. And so God tells Moses to make a pole. Call it the cross. And he makes a brazen serpent and he puts it on the cross. Because when we look at the cross, we not only see redemption and salvation, healing and miracles and blessing and prosperity and goodness of God. But we see the defeat of a foe that has ruled man for thousands and thousands of years and when we look at the cross you can't just see freedom without seeing the defeat of evil. So when we behold him, the Bible says when they looked and beheld the serpent, all those that looked at the pole and the problem is this, We aren't looking for some serum. We aren't looking for some virus. We aren't looking for some vaccination. What we are looking forward is to the merciful hand of God's provision upon every believer and upon our nation. And Numbers 21, 5 on down. And then you go to John 3. Go to John 3, 14. We'll read that. And then we'll jump back into our message. John 3, 14. Now we all know John 3, 16. And it says this. Very interesting. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Why did he do that? To not only demonstrate the defeat of Satan but to make Israel realize that they have been freed from his tyranny of sickness. And he said he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up to destroy the devil and 
to bring health. Next verse. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Then John 3.16, God so loved the world. It was a metaphor that you and I see the defeat of sickness and disease as we behold God paying us, paying for us on the cross. Then the Bible says this in Ephesians 6, 9, 10, 11, 12. Be strong in the Lord. Somebody say the Lord. Without God, we are no match for what the devil does. You know the greatest cure that we have for the common cold? Anybody know? Three days of rest. Oh, I thought it's chicken soup. No, it wasn't chicken soup. I thought it was those uh, things that you buy in a little cylinder there and you take two or three of them. I thought they, uh, how about this airborne stuff? And how about this? No, it's three days of rest. Ain't that a lightning bolt? We spend all kinds of money to get free from the symptoms of it. And there really is no freedom for sickness unless you drink so much Iquil or NyQuil or VicQuil that you just get out of your mind. Maybe that's an invention of man. I don't know. But we need to be strong in the Lord. Need to be strong. Somebody say strong. In the Lord. In other words, when the devil comes, you can't fight him on your own. The Bible says, and above everything, somebody say, above everything, take the shield of what? Faith. Persuasion in God. Commitment to Jesus Christ. Just as you, when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you were translated out of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of His light. When you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you were justified, qualified, sanctified, you were anointed, and you were seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's just as complete as you can get. It is, as it said, you are saved. You're saved. Now you're working it out, and you're implementing things, but in God's eyes, you are saved. And so when we declare Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, after we've been saved, what are we doing? We are declaring our emancipation, our freedom, our liberty from bondage, from sin, from the curse. When we say, I'm born again, what does that tell people? What does it tell devils? He's free. He doesn't belong to us. He's God's property. He's justified. He's sanctified. He's set apart. He's reconciled unto God. He's God's child. That's what it's saying. Every time you say that, you're making a proclamation of faith. But then when it comes to other things, we get silent. 
People say, oh, we don't believe in confession. How could a man be saved except? Well, I, I just don't uh, believe that. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. I'm telling you, I blabbed it and I grabbed it. Shoo, Jiminy. I said it and I claimed it and I'm saved. Now, you can squabble at all of the things you want to squabble at, but you go around speaking things that are not as though they are all the time. I'm going to heaven. Really? Yes, when I die. Yeah, really. Well, why don't you go on TV and tell everybody what you think about that Jesus is going to appear in heaven and he's going to snatch you up in the air and you're going to be transformed, chained in the moment of the twinkling of an eye forever to be with Jesus. And then tell people, I don't believe in aliens because they think you're from another world. You talk about places and things that you've never seen and only read and can hardly fathom the reality of them. We need to lift up the shield of faith. Go to get an amen. Let's go to Psalms 91. I just want to give you some things to lift up the shield of faith when the enemy comes. When he comes. Somebody say, when he comes. Now understand that the shield of faith works for everybody that has it. And we know that whosoever is born of God has faith. Psalms 91. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture. You know, if you just think about God being in the world or in the Word and Him wanting to be set free and the only way that you could loose Him in a given area was to say what God told you to say. So let's kind of make this our own. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Let's make it personal. I want to thank you, God, that I dwell in the secret place of Almighty God. Amen. That, Father, I abide under the shadow of your wing. And I say, God, every time something comes against me, sudden or not, I say that the Lord is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. In Him will I trust. Surely, He will always deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover me with his feathers and under his wing shall I abide in trust. His truth shall be my shield and my buckler. I will not be afraid of the terror by night nor by the arrow that flieth by the day. Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand things will come at me and fall at, thy, at my side. Ten thousand shall at thy right side rise up, but it shall not come nigh me. Only with my eyes shall I behold and see the reward of the wicked, because it is not mine. Because thou, because I have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, my habitation, 
There shall no evil befall me, neither shall any plague come nigh my dwelling. For he gives his angels charge over me, and they are in charge to keep me in all my ways. They shall bear me up, and my hands least I dash my foot against one stone. Wow. I will tread upon the lion, the adder, the young lion, and the dragon I will trample under my feet. Because I have set my love, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I, God, will deliver me, and I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me. I will call upon the Lord, and I and God will answer me, and he will be with me in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That is the response of sudden fear. Psalms 23.1 I know that you know these things. Not my job to give you something new. It's my job to stir you up and bring to your remembrance that which you know. Psalms 23. What a great passage of Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. Personally, he watches over me. Personally, I am before his eyes and on his mind. Personally, he slumbers not, lest I be taken. And I shall not want every need, soulishly, spiritually, physically, clothes-wise, relationally, God provides for me. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, and he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the midst of my enemies, and thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup is constantly running over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. One more if you'll turn to Psalms 18. Have any of you ever seen a movie called The Brave? It's a movie about firefighters up in the wilderness. And uh, these men, when they were being overtaken with fire, the same fire they were fighting, they would go along and they would create a fire line and it would burn back towards the fire. Now you would think that they'd just make the fire bigger, but it doesn't make the fire bigger. What it does is take all of the resources off of the ground, consumes it, making this void where fire can't live. Sometimes 
we as Christians don't set on fire God's retaliation against what hell is trying to do. And you know that the tongue can ignite a fire. But if you'll start declaring things, it'll start burning, as it were, a backdraft. And it'll start protecting you instead of you adding fuel to the fire by worry, by intimidation, by presumptuous accusation, by statements that you hear on the news that we don't even know. We need to say what God says about us despite what everybody else is saying about us. Amen? All right, Psalms 18 and verse 30. For God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to me because I trust in Him. Who is the Lord except God? And God is the Lord. From who is a rock that will save me? It is God that girdeth me up with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon high places. I am not what I appear to be. He teaches my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by my hands. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation. And thy right hand hath held me up. And thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps, God. Under me I will not slip. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them and they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet, God, for thou hast enlarged me. For thou, God, hast girded me with strength unto the battle, and thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. For I trust in my God. These are the words of the righteous. These are the words of those that fear not. These are the words of those that are wiser than the world. These are the words of those that trust in God. These are the words of life that will build a hedge like around Job that the enemy cannot get through. Though a thousand fall at one side, ten thousand at another, it will not come nigh me. It will not come nigh me. My children will see long days. They will experience the love of God in their life. God will keep them, for He is a shield and a buckler. They will always have a place to stand on the solid rock of God that changes not. They are my seed, and they are the seed of the righteous, and they will be blessed. I will not worry, for I will not fear. For it shall be as the Lord my God hath said, for he watches over his word to perform it. 
I am the utmost thought of his mind. I am the utmost gleam of his eye. I am what God said I am, and he is the God that he revealed to me. Now you can respond to the coronavirus any way you want. I think you ought to do your due diligence. Not lick your fingers after you've been shaking hands with people at the wrestling match. I don't know what you're doing there anyway, but let's just say you're shaking all those hands, wrestlers' hands. Don't lick them. Wash them. Hello? Wash them. Start teaching your kids good hygiene. You have good hygiene. Praise God. But the other, don't hope in your government. Hope in God. Pray for your government. But don't hope in them. God is our refuge and He is our shield, our buckler. He is the place that we trust. Amen? So let's do that. There is nothing more powerful than the Word of God in any universe. But if we cease to stay silent, then we cease to take up the shield of faith. Let's pick up the shield of faith. Praise God. Listen, no matter what you're going through, start speaking the word over yourself. Start speaking a word at your door. Start stopping negativity. Just stop. It's death, I'm telling you. It'll rot your bones and it'll rot your life. Just stop. Rise up and put the word of the Lord in your mouth. Fresh every day like a piece of bread. Consume it like you would mother's milk. Eat it like you would in the rich fibers of protein in meat. And live off the word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet today. Father, hallelujah. God, you have taken the fruit of your lips and given it to us. We, God, have no lack of what to sow, what to say, or what to do. You are our keeper. And God, we want to thank you That before this ever even come up, God, thousands of years ago, you already wrote Psalms 91. You heard and saw the suddenness of the ground of fear. But God, you gave us seed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, the thoughts of our God. The thoughts of our God about His people. Merciful. Strong. Unchanging. Almighty, all-knowing. Watching over us to show yourself strong. Oh, God. To Thee, to You, God, do we sing our praises. Our anthems rise to You, God.
For only you and you alone are our Savior. Who could add one cubit to your plan for us? Certainly no one. God, we love you. We stand amazed in wonderment of your care for us, just people reconciled to you through the blood of your Son. Hallelujah. Oh, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you never accept Him as your personal Savior, I'm going to give you just a moment. Then we're going to close out. Hallelujah. But this is the most important time of life, of your life, of this church's life to see you give your life to Jesus Christ. You're here today and you're not a Christian. I invite you to step out in the aisle that is nearest you and come down here and let me pray with you. A prayer that will give Jesus access to your sins to wash them away and to give you new life. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.